Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Michael Essel Jr., also known as Mike, also known as Mikey. Uh, we're here at Beau Frere. It's August 30th, 2019. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate this. I know you're busy today, so. Thanks uh, for coming out. We'll start with the easy question, which is why wine? Well, I guess that it is one of the few things that you can um, craft with your hands. I'm I'm very much a hands-on person, um, and it culminates the, the the beauty and nuances of an entire year's, year and a half's worth of uh, things. Uh, these things are much of them are out of our control, um, so a lot of it is observing and just capturing it into a bottle and seeing it live its life through um, a course of hopefully a pretty long time after it is made is like really beautiful uh, it's really um, captivating and educational and even though I think the more I think I learn the less um, <laughs> it's it's just cool to watch and um, maybe there's other things out there that that have these things but I was born into the industry and um, it was it was a privilege to have um, a jump start on um, you know being exposed to uh, to to it mm -hmm. so Something about you mentioned being born into it. Tell me about being born into it, growing up on the estate, kind of growing up in the industry as it was growing up. Yeah. Um, adversity, for sure, uh, is a pretty large point. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, my dad did uh, one of these interviews and kind of, I think, put um, that perspective into it because I was only a year old when we moved here. Um, that house right there is where I grew up, up until 96, and then we built a house um, up just slightly up the hill. So, um, but once, once my dad and my mom came out here and decided impulsively uh, while they were on vacation here to buy this farm, put their life savings into it, move us out from Colorado Springs and just plant a vineyard thinking it would be a good place for that and growing a family. Um, they, you know, we, uh, my dad, a, D a DIY guy, school of hard knocks, no formal training, um, not having a lot of knowledge on what he was getting into. We, uh, we, we were, we were, you know, always on the cusp of financial for the first 10 years financial kind of tightness always very tight um, and that was a really good thing for for me in the end of course uh, just like good Pinot Noir adversity 
is worn well, you know, when 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 you make it through. Um, you know, we didn't have much, and we didn't have many people, other than people in the wine industry. Um, my brothers and I would just run around here, causing a ruckus. My poor late mother, she had to try to manage with that while my dad worked, you know, tirelessly. Um, and we weren't exposed to much culture other than us three bonehead brothers. <laughs> um, so our reputation might not precede us incorrectly. Um, and, uh, but it was great and unique, I think, fairly unique um, upbringing. Okay. And um, yeah, what else can I say? I mean, what, what would you like to know, I guess, more? Talk about. about maybe some favorite memories that stick out from growing up here, but before you before you left for school, before you made any kind of decision about your future, talk about like memories of you mentioned running around here on the on the farm. Tell me about kind of memories of that era. Yeah, maybe one of my first was um, <clears throat> up in the vineyard. There's this this uh, cherry tree that only really birds eat. They're very small berries. Um, and the brothers and I went up there while the, it was peak ripeness for this cherry tree, right in the center of our original vineyard. And uh, for some reason, well, it was four or five. We got we got naked and we just spread these crushed cherries all over our body like war paint. And my mother just got really pissed because she had to deal with our mess um, and we just ran around and throwing dirt clods at each other and came back in the house and um, you know that was for some reason very memorable um, I don't know 96 or so came around we were 10 um, my we we wanted this new video game system called the Nintendo NES. I think it was out for a few years, but we're, you know, late to catch on to technological advances, so we needed it once we found out about it. Um, my dad, it was summer, my dad said if you want it, you have to work for it, so the brothers and I set out in the vineyard and pulled suckers uh, for probably $2 an hour or something, and we gathered our pennies and quarters and got the system and that was maybe our introduction to the to the world of you know wine one of them um, once the business started picking up we we had a little exposure to sort of the success um, my father began participating in the international Punit noir celebration you guys need so many props for for starting that event it's it's what has helped put us on the map um, but I remember we we held uh, all of my stories are kind of rabble-rousing uh, stories maybe we should direct it a different way but we held an event here I can't remember the chef that came and cooked that lunch one of the great Portland chefs um, and had a group of IPNC people come out. Was it that or Pinot Camp? I'm not sure. But um, I, I, I think it was me. We, I, I was somehow got a seat at this 
really cool lunch here at the winery and uh, there were those bread sticks, those long ones we stuck in our nostrils and in my ears and put bottle caps and we were just running around, you know, creating <laughs> havoc. Um, that was pretty fun. But uh, yeah, just things like that. We were never um, geeking out about wine or, or even thinking, oh, I'm gonna be a winemaker, you know, when I grow up, Dad. Because all my dad did was work. Mm -hmm. And um, we, we didn't, I don't think any of us had, had that vision. Um, was it what, what, so what point in time does that, did that come into play? What point in time did you think yeah. about returning into this? Yeah, in college. What am I gonna do with my life? I, I know I like working with my hands. Um, I, <clears throat> I like making stuff. <clears throat> Other than that, I have no idea. So I'm trying to find myself freshman year and um, was enrolled in the undecided major um, at Oregon State. And uh, I up and so a lot happened since then. I worked for Doug Tunnell, um throughout summers after my dad pushed, gave us another option. <laughs> um, Doug is like our nanny. I spent countless hours as a child at Doug's um, brick house, bored out of my mind while my dad hung out with Doug. Um, but. Once we were more prime of working age, high school, we all three brothers worked for Doug. Um, you know, so I had experience in the industry. I could drive a tractor like nobody's business, I felt, um, even though my dad thinks I'm hard on equipment. Um, I can be elegant. Uh, so I told my dad that I wanted to get do an internship abroad. My brother had actually done one just the year prior and uh, <clears throat> so we kind of uh, my dad reached out to my uncle Robert Parker um, uncle-in-law um, and he helped us get connected with uh, a producer in Spain actually I worked with two producers and um, so I set out uh, to do a 50 day or so trip in Spain to to harvest work experiences and I went there and uh, I knew it was gonna be pretty cool, but um, when I went to these village, wine villages and worked for these producers and felt the cultural vibe of, of the old world connection with the wine world, um, it just really opened <clears throat> my eyes and um, I came out of it saying, yeah, for sure. Oregon State just had a pretty new, newly revamped uh, institute, um, Enology Viticulture. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I remember talking to the food science department's director, Dan Smith. He said, look, we got this program. We don't like recommending it to everybody because, you know, if you don't have connections, it's kind of a hard business to, to get into. But yeah, if you do it, if you want, you can do it. And um, maybe he didn't, well, I didn't really intro myself to him, so I told him, yeah, I'm kind of, I think I, think I have some connections, and I think I could, it could be a great 
direction and um, I appreciated him doing that and um, <clears throat> but I, I decided to go for it and got the enology degree and um, learned a lot that my father didn't learn I guess a foundational chemistry background and science perspective uh, in this world of Beaufort with the ethos of biodynamism, biodynamics, it's not hopefully conflicting, and, um, but my, uh, my version of our ethos is, is a, is a elegant, uh, I don't know, um, melange of biodynamics and, um, science and art, whatever. But uh, where were we? When you when you when you got out of, got out of Spain and you kind of had you kind of had this feeling this is what you wanted to do and you went to Oregon State. Was the intention always to come here, or were you intending at that point to maybe go someplace else? Yeah, I had no idea. I knew for sure that my dad and I were not ready to um, work together. Um, so I, for sure, like my my initial vision was to carve my own path and and uh, go work with other producers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So at what point did you make the return here? And at what point did you kind of, were there other stops along the way before you got here? And, and, mm-hmm. and, and sort of what was their impact on, on you and your development? Yeah, huge. Um, 2008, I graduated. And at the Oregon Wine Symposium, I... Uh, you know the trade show is best one of the better parts about mm-hmm. that about the symposium um i bumped into a uh, a guy with a willa kenzie estate name tag and and uh and i somehow s- struck a conversation with him um daniel fay and and uh i actually said something like oh i heard you might have a position open thinking he was somebody else not knowing all the industry names and it turns out he was not the person I thought he was, but he actually had a position open for an assistant vineyard manager to him. Um, and he said, yeah, you know, shoot me your CV and maybe we can meet up. And so I did and I landed the job working with, working under Daniel Fay of the uh, 130 acre um, Willa Kenzie estate, formerly owned by Bernard Lacroute. Um and uh, and I started that that uh, fall of 2008 vintage. And so my dad was just yelling at me about my truck being in the way. Um, so Willa Kenzie Estate <coughs> was the hardest work experience I've ever had in my life in terms of physical demand and how it affected your your, your whole ethos. Um, Daniel Fay runs a, a vineyard crew um, that is sub to no other vineyard crew that I've ever worked with and I learned an uh, immense amount about my work ethic, which I already thought was pretty good, but it wasn't nothing compared compared to um, how he ran that that vineyard. 
mm -hmm. um, efficiency-wise and quality-wise. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just a huge reality check that I have a long ways to go. <laughs> um, were you discouraged at all, or were you, or were you still thinking this was yeah, the right move? Yeah, for sure. It kept, it kept my, my ego at bay, and it still is. I hope it always stays <laughs> that way, too. I really do. Um, but, yeah, it just, working with a crew of 12, um, 12 guys that could outwork me by maybe 30 or 40 percent most, most tasks, um, it, was, it was really eye-opening. Mm -hmm. um, but it gave me a great grasp of viticulture, and, um, yeah, for that I am very appreciative of. Um, through the course of 2008 to 11, um, I lost my mother, <clears throat> and it was, you know, it was tough. So a lot of things were happening. I was figuring out myself and my loss, and um, at at a at a point in 11, um, oof, that was a tough vintage, cold, but uh, I figured. I wanted to go into a, uh, a, a smaller operation and become more connected with it rather than just the ethos of running a crew. And mm -hmm. um, so uh, Doug Tunnell, he 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 was uh, looking for an in-house vineyard manager and and he knew me and I knew him and so it was a pretty easy gig um, he gave me a, a, a employment package where I could sort of take a month or two off in the winter and I did more work experience New Zealand and things while I did that um, so you know in the just before bud break is kind of in the middle of Southern Hemisphere harvest. Um, so it was it was a good it was a good gig, and I I really felt good about um, going from a 125 acre vineyard to a 26 acre biodynamically farmed, really intimate setting. Mm -hmm. um, ran that vineyard. I um, was in a good spot, <clears throat> and and then I got a call from. Erica Landon in 2012, who has um, always been a really prominent figure in the wine world, um, and at the time she was starting Walter Scott and kind of helping connect uh, a um, a new startup project called Chapter 24 Vineyards. She was sort of, I guess, headhunting. Um, Said, hey, you want to be? You, you might. You, you interested in a gig? And that's sort of how it happened. Actually, no. The the guy that started the company, Mark Tarlov, emailed my dad. That's what it was. Saying, hey, I'm looking for a winemaker for uh, this project I'm starting. <clears throat> Do you know of anybody? He didn't email my dad. He accidentally emailed me. Um, because in 2007, right out of college, I interviewed with Daniel Fay and Mark Tarlow for Eveningland. Didn't get the job. 
as the assistant winemaker for Eveningland, got the job at Willa Kenzie. Mark Tarlov emails me, thinking of my dad. He, I said, hey, are you looking for my dad? He says, oh yeah, but are you interested? And I said, yeah. And then he said, okay, I'll have Erica Landon call you and see see what we can do. And anyways, I talked to Erica Landon about the position and it's this uh, evening land type of model where you have a consulting winemaker from Burgundy and uh, yeah, you get to go to France twice a year and work with this guy and and then make 12,000 cases of wine. Uh, it's cool, simple challenge. Um, sounds fun. Um, so I, it was uh, 2012 vintage and summer and uh, I got Doug's Vineyard looking really great um, and I sweated bullets. I slept zero hours for four days trying to make a decision after I got this offer from this movie producer guy, crazy, uh, I mean, talk. I could talk about him later, um, <laughs> and leave Doug, the guy that, you know, Doug, Doug really, you know, helped me become who I am. Mm -hmm. Just leave him. And I think I thought about it for too long. And when I finally needed to make the decision, I never even talked to Doug, you know. Um, I just told him I got this offer and I kind of accepted it. That was tough for Doug. He didn't know I was looking. I wasn't looking, but it was, it put a, put a strain on Doug hearing that and dealing with me leaving right before harvest. Um, so, but I did it. I, I just, I needed a, I needed a challenge, more, more of a challenge. So, um, I did that, took the job and, um, man, it was a great experience. Adversity stricken. <laughs> um, but working with this personality, these personalities, Tarlov, the consulting winemaker, um, seventh generation guy from Burgundy, uh, top producer, I mean, world renowned, and uh, um, bouncing around with uh, Tarlov being this ins truly inspirational guy that <clears throat> is just a wheelhouse of ideas and um, deals um, it was a it was a wild ride 2012 to 2000 and um, midway into the 2015 growing season um, learned so much you know I mean um, so much that I could never learn from my father uh, about winemaking and viticulture and business type um, motivations um, and so I uh, uh, sort of just started well it, it it was always sort of rough with uh, the consulting winemaker uh, we didn't see didn't see eye to eye I guess um, 
So Tarlov uh, kind of helped navigate that um, and tried to and sort of maybe had this band-aid solution for me within his um, portfolio of brands, ideas, companies, merger, merger attempts. And uh, <clears throat> so I, I ended up in 2015 making this project called Double Zero not part of the uh, the original production mm -hmm. and um, <clears throat> right before it was going to be passed off uh, sold to Chris Herman who is a prominent wine lawyer um, I kind of <clears throat> began reflecting that my dad and I might be ready to um, to work together so, thought long and hard, certainly much less sleep loss uh, than, than my, my former decision to move career paths, but um, decided it was ready. 2015, <clears throat> vineyard manager position at Beaufort was granted to me, and uh, <clears throat> it was, uh, I think, the right move. Um, and Grant Coulter um, and I worked together. My dad sort of, during that f f period, let me and Grant do a lot of things, Grant being the winemaker, um, <clears throat> do a lot of things in our uh, sort of sense of ownership. And <clears throat> I felt it was a really great um, time Grant, though, <coughs> 2016, decided to move on, <clears throat> and <clears throat> he, I think, realized that a succession-type <clears throat> vision was there. My dad and I thought that there was always room, though, with the, gro <clears throat> with the growth of Beaufort. But, um, yeah, I'm sa I was really sad to see Grant go because a great winemaker and um, I learned a lot from him. And it was a great team morale. And it was a, it was a great loss when, when he moved on. But um, I was presented with the position of winemaker and... Uh, viticultural manager and so took that and here we are now <clears throat> although in 2016-17 um, my father's partnership with his original partnership the relationship unfortunately dismantled and the company passed ownership majority at least my father still ret retains ownership <clears throat> and that was a huge, um, in addition to working with my father, <clears throat> just the nuances of my father's goat-headed, bull-headed kind of <laughs> demeanor. <clears throat> um, and, you know, us trying to figure out who makes the final decision. It was very difficult for me to not pass 
resentment to my dad for allowing, um, you know, the, the, the whole heritage legacy thing of what he put his blood, sweat, and tears into go uh, in this direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of like this question of him not thinking that uh, there's the degree of trust and faith in, in me taking into the, his shoes. So that's why I'm... Uh, so I was... It, that was... That 17 vintage, that coupled with the fact that um, yields were 30% more than what we had sort of projected. A sea of grapes coming in and that. This just... This transition just happening and him and I working together in sort of this construct. It was a tough one. I walked out. I walked up the hill and told him I'm done. And he came up and talked to me and, and said, hey, I, you're, you're doing great. And, you know, let's, let's, let's work the, through this. So came down and said, yeah, let's do it. Um, and it's been a heck of a lot better since then. Mm-hmm. Um, also, since I, um, me, my wife and I um, created a child of our own, who is now a year old um and like i didn't think it was going to affect me like it did but it really did um this existential kind of circular Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. third generation on the farm and he's i'm going through maybe some just a fraction of what he's going he went through um so Mm So yeah, there and we are today. <clears throat> Talked about obviously the kind of a rough timing start, starting your job, Grant leaving the company, selling, changing. Is there a time when you sort of found your place here at Beaufort? Is there a time when you, or, or is that still, are you still working on kind of finding your comfort zone? Um, a time, I don't feel like I'm finding my comfort zone. I think that um, there were transitions with a lot of people within our company that <clears throat> made it seem like we were all still rolling with the punches. You know, our our accountant, Beverly Hall, was with us <clears throat> since our office was inside our house. She worked when I was five, running around in my underwear, screaming at my brothers. She left in 2017 or 18. Um, well, a few other people in the office. She retired. She was ready to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Bev Hall was like, you know, another integral part of who I, you know, was. So, mm-hmm. um, so there wasn't a point, but there was there was just a, a regrouping of the company, <clears throat> personnel-wise, visionary-wise. Tr- having a faith in, in our new partners mm-hmm. and, and and as all that really came in a great package we we have a great <clears throat> relationship with our new partners um, they share the same vision as us family-run organization <clears throat> um, it just within the last year I would say mm-hmm. <clears throat> really 
became strong and <clears throat> and I feel like we're making great wines from <clears throat> from uh, sort of that initial tension and now this release. Mm -hmm. So you've, you've obviously you've, you've been around for pretty much all of all, always here or watching Beaufrere as it's grown. Yeah. Tell me about the evolution of it uh, f in terms of wine. Like what, what was being made before and how much of it versus what you're working on now. What, what's what's new in terms of Beaufrere? Yeah. Um, the uh, the winery started with the um, probably 14 acre vineyard that my father planted in sort of commercially viable production started in 1992. It jumped up to the full 14 acres, you know, mid-90s. Mm -hmm. And then we planted that vineyard. My dad planted it out to 26 acres. Um, and that was a progression of growth. Then the upper terrace was acquired another nine acres, another little progression of growth in, in the year 2000. <clears throat> and we, st we purchased about 25% of our uh, leased vineyards. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so um, it grew from two barrels to 2012 was the biggest sort of uh, production since I was not involved directly which was like 10,000 cases and uh, <clears throat> we are now 10 to 11,000 case production um, <clears throat> including my father's um, retirement vineyard he calls it uh, called sequitur mm -hmm. um, and um, <clears throat> winemaking uh, changes that have occurred. My father originally started Beaufort with uh, this uh, Grand Cru ethos at the time, 100% New Oak, Francois Frere, Heavy Toast, um, ignoring most everything except for tannins when you're picking decisions. And often in Oregon, <coughs> when there's a, not such an adverse vintage, that meant picking rocket fuel grade alcohol levels and my father's purism puristic approach of not adding water often meant the early vintages of uh, uh, Beaufort were um, you know big wines um, high tests uh, uh, late 90s some people biodynamics Madame B's Loire inspired a lot of people including my father started testing that and my father's a spiritual guy by the way um, started testing this <clears throat> and in 2002 I think or maybe right around there uh, all of our estate vineyards are biodynamically farmed and uh, less new oak um, and the idea of making more elegant Pinot Noir was was introduced um, most of the uh, I think other things remained largely constant. Grant always tried to, uh, I think, coax a little bit in the direction of um, looking at chemistry a little more than just by this, a feeling. And um, it was good to have that, because then when I came on, 
maybe because I'm his son, but I I told him what to do. Whereas my dad would say, "No, Grant, you're you don't do that. Just do this." You know, <laughs> I feel like I can convince my dad for some reason of things in his older age or maybe post-Grant. He learns. I'm not sure, um, but um, I uh, I think that. Uh, <clears throat> Grant and I were both on the same page of of, uh, of looking at some different things when it came to picking our grapes, uh, and a huge component of what makes this wine. After we shouldn't forget about all the energy we put into the viticulture, but after that, picking decisions, um, we unanimously, especially with the. Uh, phenomena we have with warm vintages, uh, picking earlier was a huge um, thing that we changed throughout the last four or five years. Um, <clears throat> and then with that earlier pick, we see that our seeds aren't as green, aren't as ripe, and uh, therefore we shouldn't work to expose that in the ferment. And and um, and in general, less time in the tank and um, um, and less um, less uh, things, less extractions mm -hmm. during the ferment. Um, uh, and with that, you get um, fresh freshness and and acidity that's that's uh, present and more elegance, I think. I think, um, and it, I think it's a great little uh, set of things to look at with these warm vintages. I think I I should maybe stop talking because if we get a difficult vintage, I think we'll probably have to re revamp our whole mantra. Um, but yeah, I'm privileged to be here. I mean, and pr very privileged to have these great vintages in my kind of professional winemaking career, which started in 2012. Other than the project I started with my brothers called Coattails, um, which started when I was a junior in college in 2007, we, we started making wine together. And, um, and yeah, we've always been kind of like just... Um, we realized that we're in a in a really lucky place in our lives and decided to name a company based on the pun riding the coattails um, and just that we we still want to make something that's um, that doesn't come easy mm -hmm. that that's what all great things um, come come with hard work and a life absorbing amount of attention and sometimes a lack of balance in life. Um, so, so you've talked a bit, I think, but I'm just curious if you can, if you had to describe your winemaking philosophy, how, how would you describe it? What are you hoping people get out of a bottle of wine you make? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, a profile that is based um, a good percentage of which is based on um, brightness and and uh, a 
fresh acid profile. And then another maybe almost equally proportionate amount of, uh, of a profile, whether it be um, more ripe or less ripe, uh, whatever it is, it's re represented in the vintage um, because that vintage tells a story and it's, it's what connects so many, so many things that I talk about when you ask why wine. Um, um, and, uh, and I think it should taste good. I, I don't, I, I definitely love a glass of wine that, that kind of makes you come towards it like a little bit and work like to kind of, but, um, it's a fermented fruit beverage and I think it should have uh, that character for sure you know and I don't think my the style of wine that I like to make is not so esoteric that it's just you know tastes like dirt or something or burnt leather I would really like to have the sort of core be uh, fruit driven um, and that's wine that I like um, and that's uh, I think uh, a good chunk of, of uh, you know what the average consumer likes so that's good you talked a lot about family today about working working with family and feeling like you weren't ready until you were ready so tell me about the what it means to you to be able to work work with family and like you say have your have the third generation now on the farm and uh how is it how have the experiences been you, you mentioned some of someone working with your dad but i'm just sort of curious uh family aspect here pretty interesting yeah it is um and it's really great uh, after you should guys could come to a staff meeting that's when it's really comical when my father and i every Friday have a, a good light-hearted clash oftentimes but it keeps our company weird and um, which is good and uh, um, we um, we're both working on being more professional I think it's important um, but uh, we 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 have a, we have a very serious vision we just we just don't have a whole lot of facade around professionalism. We're working on that. How, back to family, though. It's it's. Uh, I mean, it's 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 a complex thing, and uh, I like it. Yeah. Um, not sure if I'm answering much. Of your You're question. doing great. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, we we hear a lot when we do these interviews and we talk with people around the industry about the sense of community, the sense of kind of camaraderie here in Oregon wine. I'm curious about how that has, as someone who grew up in the industry, how that's how that has sort of played in your life. Uh, you mentioned Doug Tunnell and other people like that. The industry being like family. Yeah. Uh, does working with family kind of help develop that sort of sense of of community? Yeah. It does. I. Uh, I mean, our our wine community is still very strong. I'm really happy to hear that. I, I mean, I I 
I don't have uh, a whole lot of comparative analyses, but I feel like uh, I, I feel like our our wine community is is very cl close, and and I I just I hope that the the notion of um, of uh, rising of, of you know helping others in our industry uh, is helping our industry and helping us all I hope that stays um, and I still very much um, uh, encourage it and 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 I'm, I, I love our I love my colleagues mm -hmm. my industry colleagues a lot of them um, and yeah there's there's a lot of people that I grew up with that are succeeding their winery to some friends of mine and it's really cool to see that mm -hmm. and and it's um and some not but a lot a lot of them are succeeding with with uh really exciting um tracks mm -hmm. yeah you mentioned this going through the sale that recently happened, um, and you mentioned that you have uh, partners now who kind of share your vision. Tell me about the the process of actually going through that and sort of finding that shared vision between what you want to do, what mm -hmm. your new partners want to do. Um, yeah. So my father uh, was entertained by a few in groups and. Uh, he is the kind of person that is very good at being very direct. That's a really good thing when we're talking about uh, new partners. And so, uh, and my father's, my, my, my vision and my father's are quite similar. Um, and so he told when the, the Onrio group came um, to look at, to talk about this we we just my dad pitched the idea first thing that happened i guess um was uh <clears throat> we had our books out and uh gilles who is the the in the onrio family that runs the the group um had the books out in front of him and he just kind of said great looked at it for a minute and then he said let's go to the vineyard and I think that was like my dad was like, okay, yeah, that's a good, it's a good sign. Um, and uh, my dad shared his thoughts as he always does, and the group totally is is like in line mm -hmm. with with what we're about mm -hmm. and where we want to go. And uh, where we're wanting to go is is. You know, it's somewhat liquid, but we have this, we have this kind of frame, and we're just going in a narrow path and taking note of of things that are changing, and and just really have a um, a solid plan of producing um, <clears throat> you know the best Pinot Noir that we can. Can make in in uh, mostly a state grown, biodynamically grown, mm -hmm. um, feeling rich, but with also some of this notion, some of the um, you know 
Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I think we're getting everything we need to to do that, to really continue the uh, the things that we've learned from the past thirty plus years, thirty two years. It's, it's a infancy compared to some other wine growing regions, but um, uh, it's Oregon is still the Wild West. And and uh, I'm really happy to be, I don't know, an infant in it. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm curious about you and, and your spot. You, you're still working with your dad, whose vision this was to start with, and he's still obviously well involved. And you have, you have a partnership group now that also has their kind of vision for things. So I'm curious about how you, how you find balance for yourself between your notions for things and maybe what other people expect from Beau Ferrer, whether it's your partnership, whether it's sort of consumer expectations, mm -hmm. how do you sort of keep on that path while you're dealing with other other uh, people and yeah. their expectations? Sure. Uh, it's really easy because our economy is doing great and um, and our brand is, is healthy and we're blessed with easy vintages. If we just continue with making great wine and representing ourselves in the right way, um, it's easy. The vision we all share. And so it's, when adversity comes, we'll, I'll get back to you, you know? <laughs> sure. So I want to broaden out a little bit, and I'm just sort of curious, from, from your perspective, what, what, what does the Oregon wine industry look like today? What is, what is the Oregon wine industry today here in 2019? What is, it, what is its role? What, is it, what do people see it as? Yeah, I need to travel the markets a little more to get that notion defined. But, because um, uh, I'm currently, like, I'm just in a feverish passion to just make great wine and 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 I'll heed uh, some some things that pop up at me from the market or um, sometimes my dad but most of the time I just kind of now I listen to my dad um, a little bit uh, but my my understanding of of the Oregon wine industry is is um, really healthy um, so much opportunity um, <clears throat> what what else can I say I mean well there's there's great wines being made from many producers and there is this I think um, notion in the national scene and, and abroad and internationally that there's something interesting happening here um, I think there is a good, like, like I said, Wild West type of thing. I think there, I think that part of Oregon identity is is really captivating, mm -hmm. um, and uh, a sense of realness is hopefully still a very prominent fixture in 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 what people perceive of the Oregon wine industry that aren't from Oregon, um, and. Uh, it's just a really exciting time. There's so much opportunity. Mm -hmm. 
And how do you see Beaufrere fitting into the larger Oregon story? Like, what, what, what is Beaufrere's role in Oregon wine's history? Well, yeah, I think it's been uh, in in the um, in the ultra premium category. It's been highly regarded, um, and in in many circles, it's I think considered uh, a, a leading example. And uh, <clears throat> it's had such a, I think, limelight. Uh, is that lime? Mm-hmm. It's had a, it's had a lot of f- highlight because of of the partnership with with uh, Uncle Uncle Dowell, um, and and um, I just want to continue its uh, warranted. Mm-hmm. Not unwarranted notion of quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to make it. Uh, I want to make really good, great wine mm-hmm. in it, and, and and not have the um, not not ride on the coattails. <laughs> so on that note, what what do you see as you look in the future for Beaufort? What 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 is Beaufort? What's happening in the next five ten years here? Yeah, um, we're going to try to focus on the Ribbon Ridge, AVA, mm-hmm. um, not exclusively, but um, potentially. Uh, increase the Ribbon Ridge stakes, mm-hmm. so to say, um, and uh, we're focusing on Pinot Noir, but we are also seeing that uh, Oregon Chardonnay can be um, really great with with uh, the realization of a few things that maybe the earlier um, colleagues of ours didn't maybe pin down so well. Um, so we're increasing our Chardonnay production slightly. Still want to be known as a Pinot Noir, um, you know, house. Um, but just focus the the super premium quality um, focus on that segment of our production and uh, and that's it yeah that's that's pretty simple I think sounds real easy yeah no problem I mean not not a lot of <laughs> levers and different varietals um, you know I think uh, I think the climate is changing, but uh, Pinot Noir is uh, really great for this climate. Still, it's it's uh, you know there's some there's some terroirs out there in the Willamette Valley that are untouched. It's a it's a stretch of and even elevations within terroirs. You just go up if there's drastic changes, but. Um, yeah, I think I think we're we're in a good track. 
as, as you look ahead for yourself or for Oregon wine in general, are there obstacles or challenges on the horizon that you're concerned about? You mentioned, you mentioned climate change. Is there, is there something else or, or is that, a, is that a, um, a more concern, more concern than you, than you let on? No, no. Um, I think the, I think everything is within my lifetime. Maybe, maybe my, maybe much my kid's lifetime could be climatologically more concerning but I think within my lifetime we're um, I think more solid on the on that end than we are perhaps economic downturn that's that's tough Um, we can't drink everything that we produce Um, and it's it's so great having a hospital like it just it it's I think my ego is pretty healthy, but just having our hospitality department right next to our lab and our barrel cellar and just finding that people that come here just truly enjoy the wine and the experience, having that gratification is so great. And having this um, hospitality, this little, this the hospitality department is where we used to house the pigs. <laughs> That's a pig barn. When we bought it, it was a rundown pig barn. And just like, now we get this great hospitality department in the pig barn. Who, my dad is like, he would, even if my dad was high on like psychedelic mushrooms, he would not believe that that was what would happen when he bought this farm. Um, You know, it's like, it's really great. So that's that would be my biggest concern. You know, we produce wines for people that um, that really would. You know, they a lot of people that drink our wine are very successful and have a lot of money, and that's great. But some come here that are not super rich and they just know that they love what they love and they think about it a lot and they buy our wine that's my favorite thing to see but those people won't come if we have another economic downturn that's and then our company will struggle we'll struggle we have to lay people off our family work here what my dad doesn't believe in that and i don't believe in it either that we won't lay people off but there's just so much trouble when that happens and my dad has gone through it and I watched him go through it and um, you know this is a luxury commodity I don't I hate to think about wine as a commodity but that's in many minds and mindsets that's what it is so um, yeah we're in a we're in a joy ride right now and if if we if that joy ride ends it's going to be less fun. So you went you went to school for wine, as as you know, Linfield is just developing a wine studies program of its own. We have students studying wine studies, also in the archives. So I'm curious. Uh, you meet a student who's just graduating college, wants to go into the wine industry. What would your words of wisdom be for someone who wanted to enter the industry today? Um, <clears throat> there's yeah, great question. Uh, because I love meeting young people that are really passionate about wine. Um, network. 
be a tenacious networker. Um, read the person you're trying to network with, gauge his level of interest in you. Don't push too hard, just network. And um, being tenacious about it is, I think, really important. Um, catching winemakers' attention is, or people in the wine industry's attention is, I think, difficult. Um, should I bring up the quote about winemakers? Please do. It would be great to have that on the record. Because you said you'd never quote it. <laughs> is it that? We're like often like kittens with disabilities, I think. Sorry. <laughs> if that's cruel, but I don't know. My dad and I think, I think both of us could be diagnosed with ADD, so maybe we're not all like that. But a lot of us are hard to tack down. Um, so that is important. Um, and, and people just really appreciate work ethic, I think, in the wine business, in the wine world. Um, and attention to detail is so huge. I think it's fluent in many industries, too. Um, <clears throat> and uh, you gotta have a passion for it. Yeah. Um, I guess that wasn't really that great of help, was it? That was actually incredibly useful, I thought. I don't so. know. You think so? I think so. I think so. I think the passion for it is the biggest thing that we hear a lot. And I think that it's nice that you had the chance to figure out if you had the passion for it or not mm -hmm. before you know before you made it all in the all-in jump. Right. I mean, there are things about the wine world um, that are maybe challenging, um, and some facades that that are unfortunate. But uh, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? When you say facades are unfortunate, I don't know. Uh, superficialities. Or you got to cut through that and and see it for what it is in your eyes and and uh, and find the the origins of why you came in for me it's this you know this beauty of tying so many things into one thing that you can see live live on um, you know for if it's, maybe it's different for others just hold on to that. Yeah. Like it. Like it. So that's all the questions that I have for you. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover that we should have covered? Mm. I don't think so. I mean, I think, yeah, I lost my voice almost talking so much. <laughs> Maybe I'm nervous or something. You got you to, yeah, it's good good preparation for you. You got to build up that voice uh, <laughs> for more future interviews. Well, thank you so much for your time today, for spending time with us, for answering our questions, and for taking time out of your busy day for us. We really appreciate it. And My we'll pleasure. Go ahead and let you off the hook. Okay. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. 
The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.